This is Bruce Hutchin, host of Let's Talk Deer. Let's Talk Deer is brought to you by Grandpa Ray Outdoor. John O'Brien sells seed, but he also sells knowledge. He shares with all his clients his insights on the three things that deer needs, food, water, and cover. Check out John O'Brien at Grandpa Ray Outdoors. Grandpa Ray Outdoors does compensate me for mentioning them on my show. On today's show, we have Josh Honeycutt. Josh is a longtime friend, and he's a communicator and influencer in the outdoor world. He's known for his articles. He, he writes for some iconic brands, and we'll be talking about that coming up. Josh, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me on. And again, I'm excited for you and, and your wife, you know, about the pending arrival sometime. Is it before hunting season? Is baby going to be here before hunting season? Yes, late summer. Late summer. Perfect. That's good. That's good timing. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And I understand it's your first baby. So, you know, congrats again on that. Thank you. Josh, when you and I chose, I know you've been asked this and I get asked this a lot, you know, how do I get involved in the outdoor industry? How do, how do I find sponsors? How do I find people to work with? You know, you've been doing this since you were senior in high school. So how did you get started? Because in 10 years, you, you've done a pretty good job. Well, thank you. Um, you know, like I said a minute ago, uh, when we were on Facebook Live, you know, it, it really depends on uh, what your interests are, what your passions are, uh, and what your skill sets are. Um, you know, regardless of what those things might be for each individual out there, the number one thing to do is make sure, A, you're passionate about the outdoors, uh, because it's not easy to become established in this industry because it's already so saturated as it is. So it's going to take some dedication. It's going to take time. Uh, and I would advise, unless you're just jumping in into a full-time career with a, a manufacturer, um, you know, it's going to have to start small, especially if you're wanting to, to build your own brand or build your own business. Um, you know, it's going to take time. It's not going to happen overnight. So I would advise you to do that part-time if you're trying to build a brand, your own brand. It's going to, it's going to start slow, uh, and, and it's going to have to build, and it's going to have to build organically, and that takes time. Um, so uh, do that on the side while you're still doing your day job. That's what I did um, as an outdoor communicator. I, I worked as an outdoor writer, photographer, and videographer on the side part-time um, uh, until I built it up big enough that it could thrive on its own So uh, and support my family. So, you know, that's the big thing. But as far as figuring out what path you should take, it's going to be different for everyone. And there are so many options out there. Obviously, I'm I'm in outdoor communications, you're in outdoor communications, but there are other options out there, sales, marketing, manufacturing, figure out what your skill sets are, what you're good at, figure out how that translates into a career in the outdoor industry, um, and then uh, make the appropriate steps to, to move forward and make it happen. Relationships are important. I know you're a master of it because some of your clients uh, that you do have and the people that you work for for because you have your own company and you're a contractor and um, selling your expertise to, to people. So how did you develop these relationships in relatively a short period of time? Well, the biggest thing is just be genuine. Uh, be yourself. Be who you are. Um, uh, you know, there's so many people out there today or so many problems out in the world. People crave genuineness. They uh, and, and that's really just the thing right there is just be genuine, uh, be you and make sure 
um, that you're always striving to, to help others. You know, don't don't just be in it for yourself. Be there for other people. Help other people. Uh, be a good Christian. Be a, a just a, a good person, and a lot that goes a long way a lot of the times. But you know, uh, networking is huge, as you mentioned. You have to be willing to get out there and uh, not sell yourself. Um, but sell your concepts and your ideas and your passions. So uh, being able to get out, network with people is one of the biggest factors in a successful business. It doesn't matter if it's the outdoor communications world, the outdoor industry in general, or any industry. Um, networking is huge. Um, a lot of the times, you know, who you know matters. So if you aren't willing to get out there and know people, then you're going to have a hard time thriving. So um a little saying that I've said, I don't know if anybody else has said it before me. If they have, I'll give them credit without knowing who they are. But, you know, uh, who you know gets you there, what you know keeps you there. So um, some people are blessed with uh, contacts, you know, you know, they're born into it. Um, personally, I was not born into it. I did not have any contacts in the outdoor industry before I started trying to uh, uh, break into it, so to speak. But there are a lot of ways that you can, even if you don't have contacts in the industry and you're not born into it. Um, you know, there are organizations out there, um, you know, for communications, there are outdoor communications like COPA, uh, Southeastern Outdoor Press Association, Professional Outdoor Media Association, OWAA, AGLO. There's so many of them out there, state level ones too. Um, you know, and if you're interested in outdoor communications, I would encourage you to join one or more of those to help you build your contacts. Uh, and, and again, it's all about networking. It's all about getting to know people in the industry because that's how you get opportunities. And then, uh, again, going back to what your skill sets are, your abilities will keep you there. You did mention, uh, you just mentioned POMA, Professional Outdoor Media Association, and that was started a number of years ago by some outdoor writers that decided, you know, they needed they needed a voice uh, nationally. And folks, uh, I'll just echo what, Josh said, I know that POMA helped me tremendously just getting my podcast up and, and meeting the people and going to the, um, their national meeting and rubbing shoulders with some of these folks and who you wouldn't have met any other way. You, you couldn't email them or call them and meet them, but then you get them on that the level playing field, I like to call it, and there you are. It's the same thing going to ATA. A lot of my, I would say 80% of my uh, listeners are, are archery. Uh, people and so ATA is my number one show for the year hmm. Archery Trade Association and so you have to figure out okay how can I get in there well, you know as a communicator and an influencer you know I have to join ATA to be part of it and that takes money and there's no there's no easy ways to do this and I tell people all the time it takes work and it takes patience and um Sometimes you have to change it up like I did with my podcast. I changed it up and, and immediately got a new sponsor and, um, and moving forward. And, but you'd have to be willing to change and listen. The other, the other thing I would just add is listen to people to go on the path that you want to take and take their information. Ask the good questions. And I love what you said about being genuine. Uh, just be you. You know, you can't be somebody else. You just got to be, you know, you and build your own brand as you have, Josh, over the last 10 years. Because, you know, uh, mention some of your clients right now so people get an idea how you turn, you know, your passion into, you know, what supports your family. 
Yeah, for sure. And I, uh, to just to echo what you said, mentorship is huge. I've had I've been blessed to have a lot of great mentors uh, throughout the last ten years in in the Albert Communications world. You know, I won't go down the long list of names, but there are so many people who have helped me in some way or another, and I definitely would not be where I am without them. Uh, whether it be their tips on uh, and, and expertise on specific uh, craft tips or 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 just uh, you know hunting tips in general or whatever it might be, whether it's craft improvement, hunting improvement, or just how to build a brand. You know, regardless of what it is, I've had a lot of mentors that have helped me and give me advice throughout the years. Definitely would not be where I am without them. Uh, so that is huge. Yeah, I, I could not agree more. It's very important to to latch on to as many mentors as you can. Uh, don't take them for granted. Make sure they appreciate it, and then uh, don't forget to pass it on down the line when it comes to your turn. I, I love, you know, people say pay it forward, whatever. If somebody's invested in you, then the best thing you can do, the best thank you you can give ever give that person is for you. When somebody comes up, they're generally interested in what you're doing. Is take that five minutes, take that ten minutes, go, um, you know, grab a cup of coffee with them at ATA or wherever you're at at a show or a conference, and and sit down, give them the time that somebody else gave you because that that's huge and that's what makes the outdoor industry a small family uh we both know that it's a huge industry it's a billion dollar industry but it's a very small family yeah for sure you know the the, the greatest gift you can give someone isn't anything that you can pay with or purchase or isn't money it, it's time that's the most valuable thing that someone can give you because you can't get that back they aren't making more of it so uh, for sure, if you're you have the opportunity to help someone, always do so, regardless of what it is in life, uh, whether it's uh, outdoor industry or not in outdoor industry related. If someone needs your help, take the time to help them. It's for sure uh, uh, very important. I don't know if I mentioned. I know we mentioned on Facebook Live, so this this might be redundant. But how does somebody reach out and uh, get in touch with you? Uh, yeah, they can reach out to me on Instagram or Facebook, Josh Honeycutt on Facebook or Josh underscore underscore Honeycutt on uh, Instagram. And Josh does uh, return people's um, requests and private messages, and uh, he's really good at that. And he's been on my show a number of times because he's truly interested in seeing you succeed. Uh, no matter where you're at in your hunting journey and your hunting traditions, he wants to see you ex uh, succeed, and I know that about him. You know, you talk, you think about your brand, and you mentioned about building your brand. What are some of the key things that you did that got you, you know, to a full-time gig here in the outdoor industry? Yeah, you got to figure. Again, it goes back to figuring out what your skill sets are, figuring out what you're good at. Because if you're not good at something, it's going to be very difficult to to make a full-time career out of it, at least for very long. Uh, you know, you got to have something that's manageable, uh, something that can grow. So. Um, uh, you've got to figure out what that is first, um, and then you got to figure out how to monetize it. So uh, I can't speak for everything out there. I'm I, I'm I'm not an expert in, in anything, let alone all things. So um, you know I don't know how you would monetize whatever your particular passion is for the viewers out there. But um, just for my example, you know, learning how to you know, or excuse me, learning how to monetize uh, what what I felt like I was good at, which was outdoor communications. You know, writing. Photography, videography, um, you, know, uh, you know, obviously you can sell a lot of good quality content to hunting magazines and websites out there. Not just magazines and websites, but just, you know, brands in general. Brands in general need content. So uh, don't just think traditional magazines and websites. Uh, don't just think traditional media. Also just think about brands in general. They need content. 
content marketing is the future of marketing. Um, people don't like paid advertising anymore, so at least not in the traditional sense. So um, a lot of the brands in the outdoor industry, whether it's uh, a film stream magazine or just a brand such as Hoyt Archery, you know, they all need content. So if you're an outdoor writer, photographer, videographer, and you feel like that's something that you're good at and you have a passion for, uh, you can definitely monetize that stuff. And there's many other ways too, as I mentioned. If you like to build things, if you're good with your hands, uh, manufacturing might be your way. Uh, developing patents might be your thing. You know, there's a lot of different things that you can do. Uh, if you're a really good people person, but you don't really have a good quality uh, skill set for communications in the traditional sense, such as photography, videography, and, and writing, uh, you might want to go into sales. You might want to go into other options that are out there. So plenty of things that you can do. Uh, you just got to figure out what you're good at, figure out what you like, then figure out how to monetize it. People know that you're writing and do a tremendous amount of content work and communicate for Realtree. How did you get that gig? Well, I started out small as an outdoor communicator, writing for state-level magazines, uh, writing for newspapers, um, writing for smaller websites, and then it just built up. It grew. Um, finally had the opportunity, uh, thanks to the editor that was there at the time, to, to write for Realtree.com as just a freelance writer. And then uh, obviously that developed uh, throughout the years into a, a bigger role. But, um, you know, uh, I do a lot of other work, too, for other magazines and websites, Rack Magazine, Deer and Deer Hunting, um, uh, North American Whitetail. I've, I've written for probably 60 different uh, hunting websites and magazines, um, some state level, some national level. But, um, you know, uh, I would say start small because I, in the very, very beginning, I started uh, tried to start big, and that didn't work for me. I, I went straight to the top, trying to write for the major publications and websites out there, had big dreams. And uh, that didn't work out for me, so uh, I had to start small. And I went back to the drawing board and started working for uh, some state-level publications, some regional publications and websites, and then I just climbed the ladder and over time built that uh, portfolio up and uh, bigger publications, uh, such as the ones that I mentioned before, uh, started taking interest in, uh, you know, just working on building that uh, base of contacts and networking, as we talked about earlier. Uh, everything's kind of integrated and plays into one another. And you really, uh, if you're trying to build your own brand, uh, you, you really have to, to wear a lot of different caps. You've got to be able to do whatever it is your skill set is. You've got to be able to put your sales cap on and go out and network and meet people and, and, and sell yourself however that might be, whether it's your, your, your whatever those talents might be, I should say, whether it's communications or sales itself or uh, manufacturing, whatever it is you, you want to go into, obviously. Um, you you got to wear a lot of different caps when you're trying to build a brand, um, and those are just a, a few uh, of the many that you got to put on. Thanks for that recap, because a lot of people, um, like I said, really need to have reality checks. And I like how you said, you know, you, you went for the top and realized you, you had to have a foundation. You had to have building blocks. You had to, you know, grow your name, grow your brand, your personal brand in the industry. And then you still got to, to the top. Realtree is one of the, you know, premier iconic brands in the industry. So, and you are doing work for them. So, you know, in 10 years and you're, you're supporting your family and, you know, good job, man. Yeah, thank you. Congratulations to you as well. You've uh, you've been in the industry for a long time, and you crush it as well. And there's many of us out there uh, doing so, and uh, it really is a big family, and everybody really uh, gets along and uh, thinks a lot of each other. It's a, it's, it's a unique industry and, and one that people don't take for granted. Once you're there, 
you realize just how special it is, and uh, it's just it's, it's something else. Yeah, it, there's a lot of – I'll just say this, and then we'll move on to the hunting portion of the show. Uh, a lot of mutual respect, and, like, you know, I have a lot of mutual respect for you because you're – and I've said this to you before. You're the future of the hunting industry as far as on the communication side, and guys and gals like you, and um, that's why I, I just enjoy you have, having you on the show. Thank you. Likewise. So – Let's let's switch it up, folks. And I know one of the most important things everybody's thinking about right now in the hunting, you know, who hunt whitetails, you know, shed hunting. And um, it's it's February now, and deer have dropped or are dropping. I see trail cameras all the time on social media that you know this buck still has his horns, and that one's either left or right side's gone. Tell me about your 365, you know, hunting. Um, plan if you will uh that josh honeycutt has well that's a uh, there's a lot of a lot of ground to cover there but we'll hit some of the highlights you know it's just uh, on the surface you know as you mentioned shed hunting uh my psa for everybody out there right now especially if you're south of the ohio river i would wait because uh i would say probably anywhere from 50 to uh, as much as 75 percent and sort of some areas are still holding their antlers um, I know some of the northern states, they're dropping already, but I talked to someone up in Iowa this past week, uh, past weekend, and he said that there was still about 50% holding up there. So uh, every property is going to be different. Some properties may have 100% shed, you know, at this point, but by and large, there's still a lot of deer still packing this year, and it seems a little later than normal, but maybe not, because last year I shed hunt. I generally shed hunt here in Kentucky the last week of, uh, start the last week of February. And I saw a field full of, I think I saw eight, anywhere from seven, six or seven or eight different eight pointers in one field all out together in the broad daylight last March. And it was probably around March 10th and they were all packing both sides still. So, um, you know, uh, you really got to monitor those, uh, that antler drop with your trail cameras, figure out what, whether they've dropped or not, because if you move in and try to find antlers that are still running around the woods, it's going to be hard to find them. So monitor that antler drop near you with trail cameras, go out and glass of an evening. They're moving now that, you know, hunt, they haven't been really hunted for a couple of months in some instances, a month or less than others. But, um, you know, for by and large deer are starting to be, feel less pressure. So they're willing to move in the evening. So you can tell if deer are moving or excuse me, if they've shed, uh, especially with trail cameras, but also with glassing of an evening as well. Uh, and then once you feel like most of them have dropped, you know, move in. The only time I would probably move in before the majority have dropped is if uh, a really big target deer, you know, it's dropped its antlers and you kind of have a pretty good idea where those might be. Uh, that's really in my mind the only time it's 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 uh, beneficial to move in and, and shed hunt before the majority of deer have, have cast. In general, this is a dangerous question to ask in general where do you find most of your sheds in in travel corridors or on the edge or near bedding areas what would you say outside outside in the woods <laughs> no uh i i, I probably I, I don't mean to be too facetious there but <laughs> that's okay but, uh, no i, I mean i i've uh, you know to answer your question i probably find more in bedding cover you know in bedding areas uh that's simply where deer spend most of their time um uh, i'm sure that's where you've probably found most of your sheds as well uh, i do find sheds in uh, transition areas and food sources too um but uh, a lot of times i'll find sheds right in a deer's bed uh, 
like right in the bed because honestly that's you know this time of year days are short nights are long or excuse me uh you know the, the amount of time that they're spending out um you know it is is really you know condensed down and uh they feed a lot obviously at night and the evenings but they spend as much time in their beds as they do in out in the fields anyway so and a lot of times it's easier to find them in those bedding areas than it is out out in, in food sources um uh, in, in some ways and in other ways it's harder because generally in bedding areas it's thicker so you can't see as well but those bedding areas especially this time of year are usually condensed down into certain areas so generally if you're searching for sheds and bedding areas if you find one you're going to find a bunch because that's where a lot of the deer are uh, because where they bed this time of year is, is, is much different than where they bed throughout the rest of the season and uh, throughout the off season, especially during the warmer months. So, um, you know, uh, I guess I would say probably most of them are found in bedding areas than I find probably as many, um, uh, less, less so. I find less uh, sheds in food sources and transitional areas, um, but I probably find the same percentage in food sources as those transition areas. Um, you know, something, a big tip too, if you're, unless you're on public land and can't do it, if you're trying to cover those big, huge uh, food sources, whether that's a big oak flat or a, uh, a big ag field, regardless of what it is, you know, uh, you can walk it if you want to, but especially in big ag fields, I'll drive it, whether that's in a truck or a four-wheeler. Um, you know, that's a little bit harder if uh, you've got uh, tall corn stalks or something like that, but if they've been bush hogged, uh, you know, that's a, it's easy to get out there and grab those fields as long as the soil's not too wet, ground's not too wet, but uh, you don't want to rip up a farmer's field, but make sure you, you respect that. But, um, you know, it's, it's easier to cover a lot of ground that way because shed hunting, you know, in my mind, with the way I shed hunt, I cover 100% of the ground that I, that, that I hunt. So 100% of the properties that I deer hunt and have permission to shed hunt, I'll walk every square inch of it because I simply find them everywhere. Uh, sure, found again, find more in the bedding area than anywhere else, but they can shed anywhere. And at night, they're running around, um, you know, uh, you know, jumping, kicking, uh, jumping fences, running across fields. So, you know, you can just as easily find them out in the open as you can in that thick stuff. And you got to cover every square inch of it. Use a dog. Yeah, great tip. Do you personally have a, have a retreat? I do not. I do not, but actually it's on my uh, list to do. Uh, I, I will have a black lab within the next uh, 10 to 12 months, and uh, I will be, uh, even though I'm not a dog trainer, I'm going to learn how to, to, to train it myself because that's something that I've always wanted to do. Um, obviously, I'll tap into some resources for that and talk to some experts, but uh, within the next 10 to 12 months, by next shed season, yes, I will have one. And, folks, that just allows you to cover more ground, like, Josh said 100% of his huntable area, you know, he does, he does, you know, put boots on the ground or, or tires on the ground and, and checks it out. Um, the thing the that dog does, too. yeah, a lot of time, you know, if you're hunting hundreds of acres, but the dog makes it more fun. It's just like, I, I don't hunt birds without a dog. I, I have done it in the past and I, anymore said, Oh, and let's go out, you know, and, and chase some, quail or, or pheasant i said what kind of dog you have well i don't i said uh, i'm not gonna go i just oh come on it'll be fine i go no i just i just love hunting you know watching that dog work and and how they cast and everything they do i mean that's enjoyable in itself whether you find sheds or not or you find birds or not just you know being out there and um and people when you talk about the three r's 
I'm getting a little bit off topic, but retention, reactivation, and recruitment. Um, this is a wonderful way to introduce somebody to hunting, to say, hey, I'm going to go out with my dog, and we're going to look for sheds. Oh, I've never done that. Yeah, why don't you come along? No gun, yeah. no pressure, no nothing. You're right. just outside with somebody else, kid, a wife, a significant other, a friend from work, whatever, and you're introducing them to part of hunting. So that's yeah, you know, that's a that's a free one. That's a a PS public service announcement. But uh, you know, it just came yeah. to me when we were talking about it. No, I 100% agree. It's a great point, and especially if you're dealing with someone who is kind of on the fence, someone who maybe they're not an anti-hunter. Maybe even it, maybe that'd be a great way to get an anti-hunter out into the woods because it's uh, you know what a lot of the people who are either completely against hunting or don't understand, you know, hunting to, at its core, um, you know, they have misconceptions about it. They think it's all about killing what's not, you know, hunters spend so much time in the field doing so much good for wildlife uh, and, and uh, less than 1% of what hunters do is actually involves killing. So uh, it, it, obviously that's a big part of it. And we're not sorry for that. You know, we aren't going to apologize for it. But, you know, there's so much more to hunting, and, and especially if you're dealing with someone who is maybe on the fence on whether or not they want to, to hunt or think it's for them, you know, that's a prime opportunity, uh, shed hunting, to get them out there just to see, uh, uh, you know, what your passion is for the outdoor and, and see how you're passionate about the species, too, and that you're not just some bloodthirsty killer. Yeah, because no snowing, snowshoeing, you know, in 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 snow, um, looking for sheds is, is a good workout too. That's right. Stay healthy, y'all. Hashtag up north, <laughs> not down south where Joshua is, but up north, you know, above uh, Interstate 80, I guess it is. Yeah, above 80 where we get a lot of snow. Um, you know, it's 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 a great it's a great way to do it great way to work you know okay so we got shed hunting then we'll remove into what happens in march april may june well I, I do a lot of shed hunting in march again a lot of the deer here in kentucky um you know again this is all relative based on uh, your geographic location but um yeah i do a lot of my shed hunting in march I, I won't actually shed hunt just because of what i saw last year and what i'm still seeing this year um, I probably won't do much shed hunting until the very, very end, the last couple days of February this year and the first part of March because I simply still, I've been seeing too many deer still holding on to their antlers both last year and this year. So I, I'm going to do the bulk of my shed hunting in the first two weeks of March this year, uh, first three weeks of March. Um, you know, I have a day job. I work a job. So a lot of the shed hunting I do, it's either in the afternoons or on the weekends. So, uh, but, but there's still plenty of time to get that done. Um, and then while I'm shed hunting, I'm also doing my postseason scouting. So even though I'm looking for sheds, and that's my primary goal, I'm also looking for rubs, looking for scrapes that are still open, looking for beds, looking for trails, looking for transitional areas, looking for potential tree stand locations. I like to carry maps with me whenever I'm shed hunting and doing my postseason scouting. That way I can mark all findings on a map. You can do the same with an app, and I do that as well. Um, but I, I do like to have the printed versions, even though I'm a, a millennial. Uh, I like to have that printed version because it helps you visualize it a little bit better. Uh, I also put the same information on the apps a lot of the times, um, but but I also like to have a, another copy of it on a, on a printed out version. So uh, uh, wh whether I, I print out a copy of the digital app uh, or I just make personal notes with a, a, a marker on on a printed map, you know, because it helps you to visualize that. And if you uh, walk every trail, as you will, if you shed hunt properly, you'll likely walk every trail 
that's on that property, especially in the bedding areas and transitional areas. Um, you know, uh, if I like to walk those trails and I'll trace those. Um, a great way to do that is using Onyx because you can trace your footsteps. You can turn it on and off. So when you're on a trail, you can have it turned on. When you're off a trail, you can have it turned off. And so, um, you know, it allows you to see the actual travel network on that property and how deer use it. You can see where the intersections are, where the most trails come together. You can do a lot of things that way, and it helps you visualize it, paints a picture of how deer really use that property. Yeah, we could spend, I was just thinking when you were saying about the trails and the intersection and on a piece of property, even 40 acres, um, if you know how the trails, where they're coming from, where they're going to, um, they tell you a tremendous amount of information, and Josh could write many articles about that, and he has written articles about that. But we're not going to get that into, into that today because it would be a, another whole show. And, idea for a show that that'd be a great show you know to do you know so we're in into summer now uh, we've done our postseason shed hunting postseason scouting now we're in the food plot business long-range scouting how's your june july and august go yeah after turkey season you know so after turkey season goes out what, what i really like to do in may if not before sometimes i like to do this in march as well after i'm done shed hunting so just to back up for a half second i like to get all of my new tree stand locations hung uh, any stands I need to move, I like to do that during the spring um, or at the latest early summer. So May would be the latest that I like to do that. I like to have all that stuff done by June. But once I get into June, in the summer, as you mentioned, um, you know, uh, here in Kentucky, you know, I put my cameras, my trail cameras at, back out June 1st. Uh, and I'll put out, you know, mineral and bait a little bit in front of those cameras just to get pictures of those deer and taking uh, uh, summer inventory. A lot of those, 99% uh, uh, of the time, I'm just using pure mineral. Um, uh, I don't have anything against bait, but, um, you know, most of the time that is what I'm using in front of my cameras just because it's the most uh, economical, it's the cheapest to do. You put it out a few times a year and keep those minerals uh, sites active and, and you're good to go. But, um, you know, I do that, you know, the first week of June, I'll get all my cameras out. Um, and our, we run quite a few, um, just, you know, we put them in low pressure areas where we're not pressuring the deer. We don't put them in the middle of bedding areas, you know, to take our summer inventory. Um, you know, sometimes I will put trail cameras in a bedding area and leave them alone for a calendar year and not check them and just let it soak in a bedding area to help learn uh, a property better. I, I do that quite a bit, actually. Uh, and that's another topic for another day. But, um, um, you know, that's that's really what I'm doing in the early summer is just shaking, uh, taking inventory. And then once we get into late summer, once we get around that August uh, time frame, that's whenever I like to start putting in food plots, um, uh, if they're fall food plots, uh, such as brassicas, um, you know, your turnips, your radishes, um, you know, your broadleaf stuff. Uh, if you want to do other things like clover and stuff like that, you want to obviously want to get that done in the spring, but um, or, or frost seed in late winter. But, you know, yeah, yeah, it's a year round endeavor for sure. And then we get to hunting, and I know we're going to wrap up, but last year you, you hunted, were able to hunt on three different uh, states. And so why don't we just recap that, and we'll call it a show. Yeah, so I uh, had a great season, arguably my best ever. I didn't kill my biggest deer this past season. That was during the 2018 season. But um, I did kill three bucks in three states, and, uh, you know, that, I think I've done that before. I think, but uh, uh, but I, I would say it was one of my best seasons ever. I killed a nice buck here in Kentucky um, uh, during the late muzzleloader season in December. Uh, killed a, uh, a a good buck in Missouri in November during their rifle season. Excuse me. And then uh, 
killed a good buck up in Ohio during the late muzzleloader season in Jan or early January. So it was a good year. Um, uh, I'm primarily a bow hunter, but I definitely put the blaze horns to work this, this season. Uh, had a lot of mishaps early on in September, October um, here at home. And uh, just some of those were self-inflicted wounds. Some of them weren't. Some were, uh, some, some were outside factors that I couldn't control. But uh, if, if, if something could go wrong, it went wrong this season. We'll just leave it at that. But um, it was a good year nonetheless. And it was kind of fun because I'd never killed a buck uh, with a muzzleloader before uh, this season. I've killed some does um, with a muzzleloader. But I uh, never killed a bucks, and then I was able to kill two bucks with a with a traditional muzzleloader smoke pole. So um, it, that was fun for sure, and uh, it's just a good season, good all around season. Learned a lot of lessons for sure. I'd like to wrap it up just simply, and we talked about this in warm up on the joy of the hunt or the joy of hunting. What does that mean to you? Yeah, you know, there's a lot of emotions that play into hunting that go with hunting. Um, you know, uh, the outdoors is a pretty special place, and I wouldn't say that there's a lot of joy that comes with, with killing an animal. There certainly is. It's certainly fun to shoot an animal. I'm not going to lie about it. As I said earlier, we won't apologize for killing animals. But, you know, that's a, 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 such a small part of the hunting. Just, it's, it's really the journey that's, that's joyful uh, and that's enjoyable. Um, that small millisecond where you pull the trigger is, is just such a, a minute part of it. Um, it's an important part, a part we won't apologize for. Uh, and it's a part that we do enjoy as well. Uh, but, but that's merely the end of the, the adventure. Um, it's everything that leads up to that moment that, that I truly enjoy. Everything that leads up, um, whether it's in season or out of season, it's not just the hunt itself while you're actually sitting in a tree stand or a blind or, or uh, still hunting through a, a, a patch of cover. It's, it's everything that leads up to that, the off season, the preseason. Um, you know, all the work and labor and sweat that goes into it. That's the most enjoyable part for me. Uh, it makes it more rewarding. And then when you're sitting around the dinner table at, at, at night eating uh, a good venison uh, a plate, you know, uh, you can think back on all of that and uh, take pride in knowing where your food comes from and take pride in knowing that you provided it for yourself and that you're self-sufficient. And uh, if everything ever goes south and we have to go back to the olden days, uh, it's the deer hunters that's going to be sitting pretty. Well, hunters, hunters and trappers are, are people that know how to just live off the land, which unfortunately is becoming less and less important to people. I'm not a prepper, but I do have a place in northwestern Colorado. I could go there and live the rest of my life yeah. completely off the grid. I have a place to go and, um, you know, you could, you could live there. That ranch has been there way over 100 years and producing and the people that live there the starter jar and if you don't know what starter jar just google it but you know my friend had a starter jar that her grandmother gave to her and my friend died she was 97 years old and now the daughter has the, the starter jar for sourdough bread folks and so it, you go that back in history you know and you realize how simple people lived and um you know hunting gets me back to you know, to basically my roots and and what I find adventure. And that's my joy of the hunt. And I'll agree with Josh. I've been able to hunt a lot of different places in North America. And it's the joy of the hunt and meeting the people and sitting around and releasing the arrow or, or pulling the trigger is, is the period on Senate. And the whole hunt, that's a culmination of the hunt. But the joy of the hunt is getting to that 
millisecond. So with that, we're going to wrap up. Let's Talk Deer, sponsored by Grimpery Outdoors. And uh, thank you, Josh Honeycutt, uh, for being a guest. And I look forward to uh, future podcasts this coming year. Thank you. As always, it's, uh, it's an honor. This is a notice from Bruce Hutchin, host of Let's Talk Deer. Let's Talk Deer receives compensation from Grampere Outdoors for podcast and Facebook Live and other other communication I utilize on social media. 